Before we engage this evening's subject matter, I wanted to uh, formally invite all of you listeners out there, if you are uh, within range of the Diocese of Santa Rosa, to come this Saturday to, I think, a pretty important event, a day put together by the Department of Religious Education within the Diocese of Santa Rosa, a day where we are uh, going to be given the opportunity to reflect more deeply into uh, this call that we have to forgive one another. Um, I've pulled up a letter written by the bishop there in Santa Rosa, Bishop Vasa, and so what I thought I would do is just um, read this brief letter. This is what he has to say. Uh, Dear Congress participants, we warmly welcome you with joy to the annual Santa Rosa Religious Education Congress. This is a day to assist those involved with the handing on of the Catholic faith at all levels. The theme of this year's Congress is Nourishing the Gift of Forgiveness. In Luke 15, verses 11 to 32, the compassionate father of the prodigal son celebrates his lost son's return. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him, and celebrated with a great feast. Our heavenly father embraces us whenever we return to him in love. The divine mercy of God is lived out in our lives, especially in the sacrament of reconciliation. Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on the apostles. He said, receive the Holy Spirit whose sins you forgive are forgiven them and whose sins you retain are retained. This Congress is a great opportunity to not only nourish your faith and understanding of this sacrament, but also to take advantage of the gift of confession available throughout the day. We welcome speakers from our own diocese, as well as other dioceses such as Douglas Bushman, Hector Molina, Father Gary Thomas, and uh, the world-renowned Dr. Ray Garendi, and others. May Mary, the Mother of Mercy, always keep you and yours close to the heart of her Son. And penned... Bishop Vaza, as well as the Director of Religious Education there, Deacon Dennis Purification. So, there you have it. Uh, This Saturday uh, at Cardinal Newman High School from 8 to 5, a wonderful opportunity to kind of go on a a retreat day. Uh, So, please do take advantage of that. Um, Yours truly will be there as well, uh, presenting a few workshops. So, um, don't miss this opportunity. For more information, you can go to SantaRosaCatholic.org. So, with that, let us open up with a word of prayer. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joelcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we have the opportunity to continue to reflect on this great topic of theology of the body. And I am doing this because of your response to our first installment, our first series on theology of the body, where I had Ivan Mora joining me, and we took up theology of the body from a foundational vantage point uh, really drawing from theology of the body for teens and certainly just kind of offering up our own reflections. Uh, what I'm going to do and what we're going to start this evening is a new series uh, with similar subject matter, certainly still theology of the body, but we're going to take up Christopher West's A Love That Satisfies. It is a book that reflects upon Pope Benedict XVI's encyclical, God is Love. Uh, so, it's an opportunity to really just not review principles that have been already discussed, but in many ways go deeper, and at the same time see the continuity 
uh, between our popes, which is always a great thing. And I will do all of this uh, tonight with Chris Seibert. So, Chris, it is great to have you joining me another evening. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's great to be here for such a uh, worthy topic as uh, Theology of the Body. You know, Chris, I just talked about the continuity between the popes, and it really is striking for me personally, because when you look back, and, and I'm thinking back to Vatican II, you had who? John the Twenty-Third uh, convene Vatican II. And in many ways, that council was about a deeper calling to holiness, and at the same time, a deeper understanding of what love is all about. And then you have Pope Paul VI, who reflects upon uh, this great theological and moral virtue as he pens Humanae Vitae, uh, as well as uh, evangelization in the modern, modern world. And then we have, of course, Carol Wojtyla, uh, not to mention John Paul I. <laughs> and Carol Wojtyla mentions, as we know, John Paul II, that he takes up John Paul, the name John Paul, because of his profound respect for John Paul I. So John Paul II takes the baton, if you will, from Pope Paul VI, and what he does is he takes his love and responsibility, his philosophy, that is, love and responsibility, and he gives us what we have been talking about, theology of the body, which is driven by his philosophy of love and responsibility. And now uh, we have this work, God is Love, from Pope Benedict XVI. It is a work that reflects in two, these two modes of love, eros and agape. We're going to be talking about these a great deal, uh, Chris. Eros and agape, it's really the first half of the encyclical, uh, which is an encyclical, is, is a, an official papal document, maybe the highest platform that the Pope has to, to teach uh, on morality. So he establishes and defines what Eros and Agape is all about in the first half of the book. The second half is devoted to social justice. And what he wants us to see is what John Paul II wanted us to see, that you cannot have a society that is just without a proper integration of the more authentic meaning, more authentic Christian meaning of love. Okay, so he takes up love from this vantage point of Eros and Agape, and that is poured into the larger arena of social justice. Okay, so he doesn't talk about social justice before he talks about Eros and Agape, and that's very important for us. And why? Well, who's our current Pope? Pope Francis. In so many ways, he takes the baton of God is love, and he's really that final stretch of this relay, if you will. I mean, if, if John Twenty-Third is shooting the gun, then Pope Paul VI is the first hundred meters. Okay, and he hands the baton to John Paul II, and yes, we have talked about before, Chris, that second hundred meters in many ways is a pronouncement of hope, but love is there. Mm -hmm. And that third hundred meters in many ways for Pope Benedict XVI is a pronouncement of faith, but love is there. Mm -hmm. And what Pope Francis does for us is he takes love and he runs with it and he shows us what it looks like. And what I love is if... Social justice is the second half of God is love. Pope Francis is showing us what this looks like. The Bishop of the Slums shows us what this love looks like. But what does this demand from us, Chris? A deeper understanding of eros and agape. You know, Joe, um, one of the profound statements for me in studying theology of the body is, is how John Paul II states, you know, the justice is going to be found... Uh, the ideal is found when we realize 
who man is called to be for woman and mm-hmm. who woman is called to be for man. Amen. And you're talking about eros and agape. If we get this right, those two things dovetail one another perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, the eros and agape is certainly bound up in who we're going to be for each other. That's if man right. can be who he's called to be for woman and woman can be who she's called to be for man, everything else falls into place, if I understand his, his thinking correctly. Well, absolutely. And why, Chris? If you think about it critically, what is it that you're talking about right now? You were talking about the first society, a society mm-hmm. is where two come together, right? Mm-hmm. If the Trinity is truly the first society, okay, the first family, then this is what the domestic church, the human family, represent here on earth. And so, yeah, if that society is going to be ordered, what all of the great fathers and uh, contemporary Christian and Catholic thinkers tell us is that eros and agape have to be foundational for that, and that's what's so essential for us. Now, before we really launch into a study on eros and agape, Chris, I do think we need to draw back a little bit and offer up for our listening audience uh, some practical reflections, because there is a reason why we are talking about this right now, okay? There's a reason why everyone wants to talk about love, sex, everywhere you turn, you know, you, you seemingly hear that contemporary maxim ringing in your ear, what is sex if not for pleasure? Mm-hmm. You know, everywhere we turn in American popular culture, Chris, uh, we are saturated with these terms, sex and love, with no real understanding uh, of what they are. Right. And there's a reason why we are preoccupied, if you will, with our sexuality. It's because that's where, as John Paul II teaches us, that's where um, we find the meaning of life, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. our purpose for being here. It's, it's certainly bound up in our sexuality and our desire to love. So it's, it's not a mistake, obviously, that we're going to be uh, preoccupied, maybe even obsessed, if you look at our modern society, with what that means for us. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're trying to make sense of it apart from God, who's the author yeah. of our yeah. sexuality. And that gets us into all kinds of problems. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to look far. I mean, all you have to do is hit the seek button, you know, in mm-hmm. your car mm-hmm. or go to Amazon or Netflix, and you're going to find uh, some grab or, or some reach for uh, the meaning of love. We're, we're constant out from our experience in expressing in some shape or form in American popular culture uh, what love is all about, what sex is all about. Just go to the top 100 movies, secular movies, and all 100 of those movies are in some way, shape, or form, Chris, going to try to grab hold of the deeper meaning of love. So society is asking the question, but they're just looking in all the wrong places. You know, it's interesting. Uh, in God is Love, Pope Benedict has a, has a great quote, and I wanted to read it. He says, you know, today the term love has become one of the most frequently used and misused of words, a word to which we attach quite different meaning. We speak of love of country, love of one's profession, love between friends, love of work, love between parents and children, love between family members, love of neighbor, and love of God. Amid amid this multiplicity of meanings, and I'll include Uh, love of Oakland A's and San Francisco Giants (laughs) or Los Angeles Dodgers. Amid this multiplicity of meanings, however, one in particular stands out, love between man and woman. 
where body and soul are inseparably joined and human beings glimpse an apparently irresistible promise of happiness. This would seem to be the very epitome of love. All other kinds of love immediately seem to fade in, in comparison. So, yeah, we are looking for love, but we're looking in all the wrong places. We live in a world that is saturated with love, but yet paradoxically at the same time, we are starving for love. Right. You know, and I think, Joe, um, this looking for love in the wrong places, we have a yearning to be in community. It's, it's given to us. It's planted in us by God. We want to be a community. God himself is a community. That was one of the most important things that I learned in studying theology of the body, that we image God best when we are a family, a community. Uh, you know, a, a man yearning for a woman, a woman yearning for a man, and their love becoming so great that it produces a third. Mm -hmm. Just as the Trinity very clearly, you know, the, the Spirit being the love of the Father for the Son and yeah. the Son for the Father, that's where we, we image God most completely. And it doesn't, you know, it's not surprising that we yearn for that at the very core of our being in a, in a very powerful way. But the expression of it is so hard given our context, you know, where it's just thrown at us uh, apart from this being from God and in God. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about man and, and woman, Chris, you talk about the Trinity, and we were talking about this in our first series on Theology of the Body, where if you were to go to Genesis one twenty six, we see this language of let us make man in our image and likeness. And the next verse, which often goes unnoticed or, or it just doesn't get talked about, it just doesn't get a lot of airtime, is male and female, he created them. Uh, so within our anthropology, we are made to image God. And that's what's so important. This is why when we look at the sacramentality of our body, how we are made for one another. We are to then see, Chris, uh, that the sexual urge is a good thing, right? Um, a lot of people out there uh, believe that the Catholic Church has this kind of anti-sex sentiment, which in every way is silly, because the Christian vision uh, of what we're talking about right now demands that we pay very close attention to this urge. I love the way John Paul II put it, that in that sexual urge, what we have is the raw material for a more authentic love to develop, okay? Uh, this brings us really to Eros and Agape, because you know, what is Eros? Let us define it well. For the ancients, the Greeks defined love between man and woman as Eros, okay? This is where, of course, we get the word, Chris, erotic. Now, for our contemporary listeners, you know that uh, when you hear that word, that is often tied to uh, something maybe dirty, pornography. It's synonymous with something that is negative. Yet, what we are made to see, Chris, is that this is something that is good and beautiful in light of what Christ has revealed, the full uh, meaning of man, the full revelation of man. And so how does Christ show us that uh, eros is a good thing? Because he shows us that there's more to love than eros, that eros points to something greater. And that's, of course, what is revealed on the cross, that sacrificial, self-emptying love that we find on the cross, huh? You know, I'm reminded, Chris, of that great Christological hymn that comes to us from Philippians, huh? Chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, I believe the second reading that we had just from this past Sunday, where Christ did not deem equality with God something to be grasped, 
but he emptied himself. He surrendered himself. He made himself a slave, obedient to death, death on a cross, right? That Greek for emptying, kenosis, this absolute emptying, this absolute surrender, this absolute and definitive yes to the sacrifice. Mindful that the word sacrifice coming from that Latin secum fite means to make holy. We can properly say that Christ was the incarnation of holiness, the embodiment of holiness. And so agape literally translated means holiness, holiness that is rooted in sacrifice. Now that being said, Chris, what does agape have to do with eros? Agape purifies and at the same time we can say infuses eros with life-giving power. Now, literally speaking, (laughs) yes, but also even spiritually speaking, when we infuse eros with agape, what we do is give that raw material its proper direction and ultimately its compass. One of the analogies that is used in the theology of the body for teens, which I use with the eighth graders at Notre Dame school, is fire. We think Mm -hmm. about fire as this very powerful force. It has a couple of different roles. It can be life-giving, and it can be life-taking. It can Mm -hmm. be destructive. What is the most important thing? That it has the right context. If we take fire and we build a context for it, we have, let's say we had a bonfire, but we very carefully build this structure to house it, that fire is going to be, it's going to warm us. Uh, If we need to, uh, we're going to be able to do many things with it. We can cook, we can, you know, we we have light. Mm -hmm. It's got the right context, which of course for us is the sacrament of marriage. The the sacramentality of the body is, is honored there. It can also be destructive. If it's in the wrong context, I mean, we have house fires. We have, we're going to burn ourselves. We've all been there where we mm-hmm. put our, our hand on the uh, stove and we realize that's not my best decision. Mm-hmm. You know? And we learn from it. But if we don't keep fire in the proper context, the theology of, of the body teaches us, um, it's going to be destructive. And when I look at a shopping I mean, a, a grocery store, for instance, and I look at the magazines on the uh, at the at the checkout stand. I'm seeing fire that's just blazing mm-hmm. um, out of context. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, it's we're saturated. It's throwing this erotic notion at us in a in a way that's not contained <clears throat> in any structure. It's just it's just flaring everywhere without any uh, direction. Yeah. That's a beautiful analogy, Chris, and and so important for our discussion. Yeah, as you're talking there, Chris, I cannot help but think uh, of what you're talking about as it relates to evangelization, right? Because, you know, there's a lot of discussion out there today that talks about how the darkness is increasing. But what we must never forget is that the darker it gets, the brighter our light shines. So if we are entering into the fire that is this love that you're talking about now, the brighter our light shines. And this ought to uh, convict us. Huh? This ought to draw out from within us this yes to God in that great virtue and gift of purity. And yeah, Chris, what you're seeing there on the bookshelves and ultimately in pornography is, is Satan doing what he does best. He plagiarizes what rightfully belongs to God. And again, the body 
in all of its wonder and all of its beauty certainly is to glorify God. And what Satan has done is he's hijacked the original meaning of our body and he has presented it to be something that it is not. And you said a very important word there, Chris, take, take. Mm -hmm. Are we giving or are we taking? There's that great line from John Paul II that we could never say enough. Yeah, people are made to be loved. Yeah. Things are made to be used. In our modern culture, we reverse this and get it backwards. Yeah, we uh, love things and use people. I mean, are we self-giving or self-getting? What has all of this led to today, Chris? I mean, we turn to the likes of a, well, certainly in the classroom of Sigmund Freud, uh, but in a more contemporary sense, maybe a Hugh Hefner, mm -hmm. right? Or a Howard Stern, or sadly, maybe a Miley Cyrus on uh, what it means to be male or female. Mm -hmm. We have lost our sense of original meaning, <laughs> original context that you were just talking about. And this is so invaluable for uh, a deep understanding of what eros and agape is all about. If we can grab hold of that all-important truth that the Christian revelation of agape purifies and at once infuses eros with life-giving power, which as John Paul II talks about, is redemptive, then we will have a deeper sense of who we are and where we need to go. Very important. You know, something that's quite interesting, when I, when I was thinking about it before we came on air, Chris, and I have failed to mention this, but God is love is Pope Benedict's first encyclical, okay? Before he was Pope Benedict XVI, he was Cardinal Ratzinger, and his nickname was uh, God's Rottweiler. Why? Because he was the prefect for the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, which simply means he held post to all of those uh, hard teachings on the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. So when he became Pope, everyone was anticipating uh, that there was going to be a bark, if you will, to his first encyclical. And he gives us God is love. Mm -hmm. That's striking. And his whole first half is about what we're talking about now, Eros and Agape how the two come together and reveal the purpose and meaning of man. Because yeah, he understands where we are at today and still live in Meritas, of course, right? He got it then and he gets it now. And he wants us to see that we need to integrate, integrate our anthropology, integrate the sacramentality of our body, integrate ultimately our sexuality, huh? You know, I'm looking down here at a quote from... Uh, God is love. It come, this comes to us, Chris, from his opening paragraph. He says this, I wanted here at the beginning of my pontificate to clarify some essential facts concerning the love which God mysteriously and gratuitously offers man together with the intrinsic link between that love and the reality of human love. Huh? That intrinsic link between divine love and human love. I love the way that uh, in the theology of the body, we are shown that the attraction that we have for the other, and I really try to emphasize this with the young people, that attraction is actually, you know, you see a beautiful young woman, if you're a young man, and what happens, you are instantaneous, it's like a magnetic um, attraction to that individual. That very attraction is literally an attraction to God himself because of the yearning of our heart is really we're trying to get back to that original plan which is the yearning for the other is the yearning for God if we can get to that 
we see how profound this erotic uh, love, this erotic magnetism is, and that it leads us to agape if it's if it's following the path that God intends. Yeah. It feeds on itself, Chris. When love pours itself out, right, people want to be around it. Again, I think that's the fire. Yeah. In many ways, the light and the darkness. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you are loving your spouse, when you're loving your husband, you're loving your wife, you want to be drawn to that. So what agape then does is it points you to the original intention and purpose of eros itself, right? right? Because eros is the consummation of of agape in many ways. And we're going to get into this a lot, lot more. But it really highlights what you're talking about here as it relates to the God who is love. And this is the first chapter to Christopher West, The Love That Satisfies, because he talks about encountering the God who is love. Okay, the God who is love in the, in the triune Godhead is ultimately love given, love received, and love shared. And this is the love that we are called to participate in, huh, Chris? You know, I was hoping to get to one last reflection here as Christopher West does, a reflection that we have certainly touched upon in the past, but I certainly wanted to make it a part of our opening discussion, Chris, and that is Ephesians 5. You know, from the earliest days Christianity, St. Paul helped men and women understand that sexual union was a great mystery that referred to Christ's love for the church. That is what we read in, I believe it's Ephesians 5, verses 31 to 32. So husbands were to what? Love their wives as Christ loved the church. I mean, what does that mean? Well, how did and does Christ love the church? But a love that again pours itself out. For men to love as Christ loves the church is to love their brides, their spouses without measure without calculation, without any uh, pompous action, but to simply love because to love is to will the good of the other. We often go to Ephesians 5 and we think, you know, women submit to your husbands. What does that really mean? Well, let me translate that for you. Woman, allow the man to serve you because Christ's headship is about service. And if we share in this headship as men, as husbands, then women need to allow us to serve them. This is the great mystery. And in doing so, the woman receives that love and that love comes together and it consummates and it gives life. St. Paul teaches us that eros was meant to express agape and that ultimately agape in many ways opens us up to the proper dimension of eros. With that, Chris, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, 
The website is joeholcraft.org.